I used to tell our son, Francisco, who's 28, I said, you know, Francisco, when he was three, there are a few rules here. One of them is the dirtier you get, the happier I am, because I think dirty kids are happy kids. Is there something that you would rather be doing? Is there somewhere you would rather be living? I'm Kat Caldwell-Myers, and if this is you, I totally get you. I have lived a lot of my life in those states, and I've done a lot of work around understanding what drives us in the adventure paradox, why we don't do the thing we're really called to do, and what happens when we do do that thing. Or discover that thing is right here, right now. Let's go. I'm so glad you're here. Keep an eye out. If you haven't noticed yet, we are doing some rebranding of the podcast and of my business this summer. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, today on Horses, Mountains and Dogs, we have the great pleasure of interviewing Gene Kilgore. I have one of his guidebooks here. If you're not familiar with Gene Kilgore, I wasn't by the way, but I am so excited to connect with him through the guest ranch community. His name is synonymous with one of America's greatest traditions. And I'm reading now his bio from the back of the book. He has traveled thousands of miles exploring America's ranches, bringing ranch country to millions of people worldwide. Kilgore has appeared on numerous national TV networks and programs, including CNN and live with Regis and Kathy Lee. Today, he's here with me on Horses, Mountains, and Dogs. Let's dive right into our conversation. You are not going to forget the wisdom we're tapping into here and the wonderful adventures and adventure paradoxes ahead just for you. Without further ado, here is Gene Kilgore. Good morning. Good afternoon where I am, Gene. Well, it's a beautiful day, as uh, Mr. Rogers would say, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Oh, Gene, I was just thinking that and we could start singing the song right now. Where in the world are you? So I'm right in the heart of wine country and the food movement and the grape movement in a little tiny town called Sonoma, California. We've lived here 25 years. I have a beautiful Brazilian wife, Regina, who's from Rio, and we almost moved to Wyoming a couple of times, but she was not too keen on the long, cold winters, and she found the town of Sonoma appealing because it has a big square, which reminds her of South America, and so we've been here for 25 years. Beautiful. And how did you two meet? Where did your life begin together? So we met up in Tahoe. She was visiting from Russia where she was living, and she had a friend, a Brazilian architect friend. They both went to architectural school who had married an American engineer up in Lake Tahoe. And uh, I was living up there where I wrote my first book in 1988. And we were at a mutual friend's house, and we met, and the rest is history 30 years later. Was it love at first sight for both of you? Well, I don't know about for her, but I recognized that she was really special. And there was something that captivated me. And I think for me, it was love at first sight. Yeah. 
For you, when you know, you know, as my husband always say, when you know, you know. <laughs> yep, there you go. I want to hear about that first book, Gene, and also you are known, and I'll give you a full introduction when we air this podcast, but you are known as the authority on guest ranches. Tell us about that first book and how you came with that title that I think American Express gave you. Well, I feel really lucky, Kat, to do what I love and love what I do and to have been blessed to be able to ride this journey for the last 40 plus years. But I was a little boy and went to a ranch in Jackson Hole in Wilson, which you probably know of, called Trail Creek Ranch when I was seven. And I just fell in love with the whole cowboy thing because I grew up with Bonanza and Gunsmoke and Death Valley Days and all those Western television shows. I got my first lariat and uh, I was captivated by ranch life then. And growing up, we lived in the country. And so we were outdoors in nature on weekends and summers, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of a long story, so I'm not going to go into it all. But suffice it to say, I moved to Tahoe. Actually, I left medical school in 1980. I was down on the island of Grenada, one of the great foreign medical schools. And I was studying. And one night, you could say God spoke to me and said, in the middle of biochemistry, this isn't it. It's time to go. So fast forward, I moved back to the States and went to Colorado and started researching guest ranches. And I'm not sure how that happened, but I thought I went to the guest ranch as a kid. I grew up in the country and started researching ranches. And along my journey, I met an advertising guy who had written a book and he said, you've done all this research, Gene. Why don't you write a guidebook? And I thought I was trained in science, not as a journalist or as a writer. But anyway, I moved to Tahoe in 88 and sent out about 80 book proposals and got 77 rejections. And... Uh, Three of them said we're interested, and I ultimately picked one from Santa Fe, New Mexico, John Muir Publications, and uh, off I went. Wow. So let's talk about off you went. Did you go to any of these dude ranches? Was most of the work on the phone? How did you create this guidebook, which really outlines so beautifully? And I have one of the older copies from 2000. And you've had six editions, seven editions now? Actually, 13 editions. Oh, that's lucky. You know, I started researching the ranches. I visited a number of the ranches. But my technique was to, like you, interview the ranches over several hours and to somehow extract the essence of what each ranch was all about. And I look back and I think, how did I make 200 plus ranches that all offered riding, all offered this brilliant stars, 
studded skies, all offered good food, all offered this. How did I make them all different? And I like to say that numbers run the world and people make it. And I think the real essence of the ranches is all about the people because they're all offering, in essence, the very same things, which is the great outdoors. Wow. I love that, Gene. Yeah. The people make it. Wow. That really does something for me. And I'm thinking right now about legacy and a lot of these ranches, it's passed down. It's multi-generational. Everyone's part of the ranch. I wonder how many you've stayed connected with and if you still think that's true or how many that's no longer true. Would you give sort of a percentage on that? What would you say in terms of a family legacy of dude ranching? That's a real tough one, Kat. I would say that there are a number of ranches that have been passed down to a second generation, like Bayard Fox's Bitterroot Ranches being passed down to his son, Richard, and his wife, Hadley. There are some third-generation ranchers. But like everything, we're only stewards for what we have for a short period of time, and there's turnover. And some of the kids that grow up on these ranches want to go off and do other things, and that's important. So it really varies. Sure. Yeah, such an interesting point. And I think the idea of stewarding what happens at these ranches, because again, it's not for everyone. And very often people are born into situations that aren't really what they're called to. They might be called to something else and that's okay. But what is it that we're stewarding that's still so attractive? The history of dude ranching, you don't know this, but my husband and I got married in the Chapel of Transfiguration in Moose. That's where I wanted to get married. So you know it. That is a sacred, beautiful chapel that is so magical. And every year I go to Wyoming, that is one of my first stops. And I get on the pews and look out over the altar to the Tetons. And I say my prayers and give my thanks. Lucky you guys. Holy cow. Amen. Miracles never cease, really. And What's so fascinating about that chapel for people who have never seen it or might not know, and we're so blessed to know and have been there, is that it's this sort of small little log cabin. You walk into the first vestibule and you have a stained glass chamber on each side that's about the weather. Oh, ye wind and rain. It's really this beautiful. And then, oh, ye flowers and birds. I'm not quoting exactly. I know one of them is wind and rain. But thank you, the Lord, or something like that. And then you walk in and you have these little pews and a huge glass window with a tiny little wooden cross. And there's the Grand Teton right behind it. And you see the entire mountain range. And what's so fascinating about it is the history of it was that it was built, I believe, in 1921 to 1925, around there, for the dude ranches in the area to ride in. So there's a corral around the outside and these old black and white photos of people riding their horses in to go to church, coming out to these dude ranches. So that tells us that this has been going on for close to 100 years. Yeah, and I worked at a guest ranch there called Whitegrass Ranch, and we did ride our horses down into that it's not really a canyon, canyon, but down to that plateau and have seen those photos. And 
But sometimes the little things in life, the simple things in life that touch us profoundly. And I think the ranch experience is one of those things that does touch us profoundly and offers people a glimpse of times gone by and a glimpse of a window into the great outdoors and nature. And I agree with Bayard completely. We think we own things with so much that you've experienced and Bayard's experienced and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people pay attention to or are rekindling their interest in what's going on out there. I absolutely agree with you. And I think regardless of what people believe, we said a little prayer before we started this interview. I always say a little prayer before I start. Nature is our saving grace. It is a constant. You can't argue with the truth of nature and the seasons coming and going and the birds chirping right now for the season that we're in right now. And I would love to hear you share what your morning practice of connecting with nature is with your dog, Lucky. I also have a dog named Lucky, if you remember, who's a miniature Australian shepherd. So little humor there that we have so many similarities. I would love to hear about your morning practice and then take us on a journey of an adventure you had in nature, an experience where you really recognized what a saving grace nature is on a big story or journey that you had. Two of my favorite songs that I actually said to Francisco when I am taken that I hope that you'll have a little moment of memory at Chapel of Transfiguration and that somebody might play on an accordion or something, Home on the Range and Don't Fence Me In. And those are in my latest book, This is of Richard and Hadley at Bitterroot Ranch, which is really fun. But I have in here those two songs. There was something that I was going to share with you, but it somehow has gone by. But take it on a journey. So my journey has, I probably traveled half a million miles all over the West back east early on to South America to explore the estancias and as they call them, fazendas in Brazil. And I think what's so magical is we are so inundated with news that captures some of the really sad things in the world. We don't have a good news network that celebrates all the magical, good people in the world. And traveling all these tens of thousands of miles has given me the opportunity not only to see the magic of the land, but also the wonder of the people. And there are so many good people out there doing beautiful things. I just wish that we had a good news network that celebrated moms and dads and kids and grandpas and grandmas here and everywhere in the world that ultimately want goodness for themselves. And that crosses my mind a lot. But anyway, adventures. I took Francisco to Bitterroot Ranch when he was about 
four or five. And that's been one of my great adventures, being with Byron and Mel and Richard and Hadley, and now Richard's and Hadley's little boy, Tristan. And I watched Tristan, who's I think five years old, just embrace the ranch with his wonder and watch Richard and Hadley as they're celebrating their little boy and showing them the beauty and the magic of ranch country. And I think ranching today, like somewhat like farming, it's not an easy line of work. It's a lot of work. And yet the guest ranch component to ranching offers these ranchers who live in Timbuktu a chance to find out what's going on in the world and meet travelers. I say in my emails that kindness transforms the world and travel makes it and travel unites us. And it really does unite us. And again, it gives the ranchers a chance to embrace other people from other walks of life doing other things. It's a beautiful marriage. Yeah, it really is. I think going back to that idea of paradoxes, and you don't know this, but you just spoke right into it. A few of the interviews that we're airing this month have to do with a community or group called AgriSafe, and that many agricultural communities are really struggling deeply with mental health issues and don't really have a place to go in terms of just go to a therapist or, you know, et cetera. So they've created this whole hotline specifically for the agricultural community, which is quite interesting. And another woman whose interview is coming out, I think I'm going to drop it tonight, actually. And she's calls herself Farm Fit Mama, but she married into an agricultural family and their home burned down the day before the pandemic. And she turned to fitness because she was losing her mind. They had no clothes, nothing, and took the agricultural community by storm teaching these simple nutrition, workout principles that we can work into our very busy days because we have a lot of responsibilities that work with the sun rising and setting and the rain or the snow or the wind or the sun coming and going. Like it's a very interesting paradox that there's that vision of the grass is always greener, but there's the other side of being out and remote and so far from people. So I think that's part of what makes the guest ranch experience so unique not just for the rancher, but also for people where this way of life is just so far from where they're living and what their daily life looks like. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think that people walk the pavements and the sidewalks in the big cities. I mean, think about the Indians. I mean, I like to say that that ranches reconnect us with the natural rhythm of the earth and there's something really special about walking on the earth not on concrete and not on asphalt just to feel the texture and to smell the magic i used to tell our son francisco who's 28 i said you know francisco when he was three there are a few rules here one of them is the dirtier you get the happier i am because I think dirty kids are happy kids. The kids today are growing up in an incredible time, but they're completely distracted by, like you alluded to earlier, 
the screens, the screens that we're wedded to, and they're not out playing, and they're not out getting dirty, and they're not out laughing with each other. The parents are helicopter parents running a little on the paranoid side about where their kids are and who they're with and what they're doing. And I think when you and I grew up, we were out on the out wherever we were, and our parents didn't think twice about it. So, yeah, I think we'll get back to nature every single time. Absolutely. And I love horses. I've been a horse girl my whole life. And growing up mostly in Santa Fe, New Mexico, my parents said, all right, if you want to ride a horse, go to the closest horse you can find and ask him if you could ride it. And we had taken a few lessons and done a couple of horse summer camps. Orm, I don't know if you're familiar with Orm, but I went to Orm summer camp in Arizona a couple of times. It's also a yeah, morning I, I know about Orm. That's fantastic. Fantastic. So anyhow, the long and the short of it is we found two horses. There are only two horses within walking distance for us. I was 12. My sister was 10. And we asked, can we start riding your horses? And these horses were only trained for hunting. That's all they really did with them. They just used them to get elk. <laughs> that was about it. The rest of the time, they fed them and they lived in the backyard along the arroyo that met up to our house two miles away. So it was very interesting. And in my first experience, I think you'll get a kick out of this story. So I'll share it with you of learning how to train a horse without a trainer. And this is why, to fast forward, my parents then invested in getting us more lessons because the internet was just kind of coming out around that time. And the four-year-old horse who I was riding was named Starburst. She had a nasty habit of rearing straight up. And I was 12. So I just thought this was kind of fun and would hang on. But I also had a few times where she either flipped over or almost flipped over. And it was a little bit scary, but I'm fearless. I'm 12. So I looked up on the internet how to make a horse stop rearing. And what I read was carry small water balloons. And when the horse rears, you have them in your saddleback and you just bop them on the head. So they think they've hit their head. So (laughs) it's effective, by the way, kind of an interesting training thing. So my dad was out with us one day and I said, daddy, watch this. And he said, I think we're going to get you some lessons now. I don't know what's going on, but I would love to hear your thoughts about connecting directly with horses. I think this podcast, we're going through rebranding right now, but when it first started, I called it horses, mountains, and dogs. And the reason is, I think most people, and this is a big generalization, but they're going to be more familiar with what you would expect or hope of a dog, that it could sit, that it could stay, that it won't bite, that it won't bark, ideally. But people have no conception of the nature of a horse. And something that comes up in the book that I have coming out is this idea that a horse is a little bit like working with fireworks coming up on the 4th of July. So it's a good time to talk about this. They're an explosive. They can explode. But if you know what you're doing and you're a pyrotechnic expert, which comes with a lot of practice and experience of being around them and training and so on, it's a beautiful relationship. But there's a lot that you do need to know about how they think and how they see the world. Would you speak specifically to horses and bringing guests into that partnership with horses, especially guests who really know nothing about horses? Well, I really don't know much about anything. I realize how little I know and how much I need to learn, and I'm certainly no expert on horses. I worked on a cattle ranch in Wyoming, which was a fantastic, maybe the greatest year of my life, and that taught me a lot. I went to 
horseshoeing school at Montana State, and that taught me a lot about horses. But probably the most profound thing that I've done with horses was I went to one of the early horse trainers classes by the name of Ray Hunt, who was a legend. He and Tom Dorrance, I think he may have been a peer of Tom Dorrance, or Tom Dorrance was a little bit older than Ray Hunt was, but Ray had a magical sense of connection. And there were two things that he taught us, or many things that he taught us, but two things that I remember. And one, he used to always say, love and warmth versus force and fury. And the second one is make the wrong thing difficult and the right thing easy. And this he applied to training these young horses that have never been ridden. But if you take that a little further, you realize that all that they're sharing with these horses and people is all about people. It's really training the the people about the horses. And I was in awe of the way that he could dance to the music of the horses and connect with them so profoundly. And now, Kat, they're probably 50 or 100 or 200 or more horse trainers. They don't call themselves horse trainers. They call themselves clinicians or teachers or maybe some other names. But the way they can take the horse's mind and draw that mind to their heart and create that bond in a matter of minutes, really, or in the matter of 15 minutes. And within a half an hour or an hour, they have a saddle on this young horse. And within an hour or two, they have a rider on the young horse, where in the old days, you were to buck the horse out or whip and ride. And again, you back to the love and warmth versus the force and fury. I think that is such a profound statement, not only, as I said, for horses, but you think about raising children and the love and warmth versus spanking your kid. It just embracing them with goodness. And I've kind of sidetracked myself with regards to my understanding of horses, but I think the big thing is I don't understand everything about horses. And I'm in awe of those that do. And it's interesting thought that, you know, growing up, all these girls love horses. They have pony clubs and riding clubs. And where are the guys? I don't know where the young boys are today, but all the girls love these horses. And I think it might be said that women are much better riders than guys are just because they have this connection and this intuition and this this ability to embrace these magnificent animals. Have you ever owned a horse, Jane? Never owned a horse. Is it in your bucket Always list? Embrace the horses at the guest ranches that I've been privileged to be a guest of. Have you had any interest in owning a horse? Is it in your bucket list? Well, I tell people there are three ways to get into the ranching business. Marry it, inherit it, or make it. And God didn't give me those opportunities, so I've had to just embrace 
other people's ranches and other people's horses. And that's worked out okay for me. I think for a lot of people, and again, this kind of comes back to that paradox of the idea that the grass is always greener, but then the actual reality, the property we own right now is about five acres, very heavily wooded. And we've turned it into this incredible hidden ranch property and run workshops and done different things here. But the gal that I bought it from, she said, yeah, everybody wants land and property until you actually have it and realize trees fall, you're going to have to pay for that. Tree starting to fall, going to have to pay to cut it down. You know, all of these little things that go along with stewarding larger parcels and also larger animals. I heard a vet tech talking about dogs he would never own. I think he was British. So with a beautiful British accent. And he was saying, the bigger the dog, the bigger the expense. And we could say true with an animal or a horse or an elephant, probably very large vet bills, the more exotic you get. It's interesting to me though, and I'm looking at this beautiful painting in your background, which maybe you could describe in more detail, but it looks like it's a mesa with two people on a horse. And the history especially for the West, that vision of the freedom and connection to the horse and being on a horse, something that is so powerful, so expansive, so can take us so far has really helped humanity for 5,000 years to develop to where we are. What would you say about that in terms of people being so attracted to it, but not necessarily needing to own it? We're going to take a short break and I'm recording this from A beautiful garden, which reminds me so much of my grandma's garden and places where we go, so much resonance for us. It's the smell, it's the touch, it's the look, it's the ambiance. And I invite you on a journey to some of my favorite places in my first book, The Adventure Paradox, available on Amazon. It's a bestseller in six categories and has been getting amazing reviews. But more than that, this book is meant in no small way to change your life. And the feedback from my clients and first readers is that it has and will. So you don't want to miss this one. Go check it out. Well, this painting was done by an incredible guy, Fred Ludekin. It's of two Hopi Indians. I wish I had a camera there to see the colors. But It reminds me of New Mexico, actually. The colors, the simplicity, and the beauty. I think the young people today are really plugged into the environment as they should be. And I think that you can travel the world and not have to own everything where you travel. But I think the key is to appreciate the tapestry of nature. And I think that, as I alluded to earlier, we're only stewards of what we have for so long. We think we own things, but we're really just stewards of things. We're passing through. And I think that we need to be better stewards. You know, I was at one of my heroes is Ted Turner. And Ted Turner, I met when I did a couple of television interviews on CNN. And one of his sayings was, 
it's not as easy as it looks. And isn't that the truth, Kat? But he is a guy that has embraced ownership, large tracts of land in the form of ranches, and he has preserved and protected those ranches impeccably. I think when he goes, I read, I could be wrong, that they are going to be stewarded, if that's a word, by the Nature Conservancy. But when we went to a ranch called Ladder Ranch, which is in New Mexico, down by a little town which has a funny name, Truth or Consequences, this ranch was 150,000 acres. And we got there and met the ranch manager, and he said, you're going to be going out with Fred Smith, who is our on-site biologist. And he took us on one of the most incredible trips for about four hours on this ATV all around the land. And he pointed out the geology, he pointed out the biology, if you will, of the land and the plants and the animals and the streams and all this amazing wonder. And I thought, I kind of have an appreciation for that's kind of been built in over all these years. But the men and women in Washington that are setting all these policies, they ought to be the ones on this tour connecting them with the intimate relationship that man has with nature. And so back to your original question, I don't think everyone has been blessed with Ted Turner's abilities or other leading businessmen and women. But as long as we can step back as we navigate through nature's wonders and realize how precious this asset is and how precious life is and how precious the balance, the circle, I think that's another big thing that you step back and you realize that Einstein's principle for every reaction, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And you realize that life is a circle and that nature is so interconnected by the bees pollinating the flowers, which go on and do this and that. And it's just so complex, but so beautiful. And we need to be better stewards of what we have. Wow, Gene. Amen. And I hope people who are listening to this can really hear that. And it's something that came up as a theme in Bayard's talk too, at the very end when I said, is there anything else? And also I had an interview with my grandfather who shared his stories of going out to a dude ranch. He's 93 last month. And I think the beauty and the blessing of connecting to nature and through animals and having these sacred wild places. And it's always been a part of our history. And I think whether or not we're living on a larger parcel or we have a larger animal and whatever we've chosen or been chosen, right, as our path, to really step into that, but also to see the opportunities. And one of my biggest passions at one point, I was running a group called Horses for the Horseless here in Waukegan, is to bring people who want to connect with horses. So many people in this area have never even touched a horse. When we ride our horses down the Des Plaines River Trail, I say it's a public service because so many people are 
could I touch them? You know, they're taking pictures quietly with their phone, like, come on up. (laughs) This horse would love to meet you, bless you. And it's a blessing for us to share this with people. But I think we're sort of moving into this time where it's really important, I believe, to make sure that all people have some sort of access specifically to horses because nature we have. And I feel like guest ranches are such a unique way to do that. What are your thoughts? And in this book I read, which again, I have a 23-year-old edition, you had sort of a single dollar sign or a $2 or I think even up to $7 scale. What are your thoughts about how to give more people access to have the experience of riding a horse, being with a horse, really getting to travel and journey with the horse more than just petting it or doing a single trail ride once in their life? Good question. So I think the ranches are windows to our four-legged friends. And I think you can find your local stable in your local village or town and take riding lessons. Again, as I said earlier, the young girls that get into pony clubs and connect with their ponies and then grow up with their horses. I think one of the outstanding qualities of these guest ranches is their commitment and their dedication to bringing men, women, and children together with the horses that are part of their ranch family. And I think the connection like you said, with the horse is so powerful and so profound and so beautiful. But one of the interesting things is that I'm not so dedicated to going after the horse lovers per se. I'm really dedicated in my work to go after people that maybe had no experience with horses or maybe don't even want to ride because the ranches offer a beautiful nest, if you will, where people can do whatever they want. As you said earlier, it's I think it's the best vacation for women in the world, especially moms, because they don't have to worry about anybody in the family. The kids are happy, their husband's happy, they can ride or walk or read or daydream and really be on their vacation. But I think bringing people that have no horse connection is pretty special. And usually by the end of the week, they have connected with a horse, seeing the love of the relationship between the kids and the other members of the family. And again, it's back to nature, back to wildlife back to just the wonder of the horse and the animals and the sky and the rivers and the birds and all of that. Oh, Gene, I love that. And I think you touched on something really important. And I have a talk that I give. And one of the things I say is there are two kinds of people in this world, horse people and people who don't yet know they're horse people. There you go. (laughs) In part because they've just never had the experience or desire. I would also say from having taught many lessons and worked with a lot of people, there is also the horse person who has had some sort of trauma or tragedy or fear that they have to work through to return. Going back to something we were talking about earlier, when I was a kid working as a working student at a barn, 
there was a book that we all had to read called There Are No Problem Horses, Only Problem Riders, just to help us be in the space of our responsibility to the work is to really work on ourselves to then work with the horse and work on the horse. Something I was curious about with what you're talking about, and again, going back to the horses, mountains, and dogs idea, mountains, there it is. We don't need any dogs. We don't need any animals. I mean, we might see some wild animals, but it brings something out in us. The mountains are calling and I must go, right? They're And it's not for everybody. For some people, it's the beach. So for each of us, it is what is that innate nature calling? And does it come from our roots? Does it come from our upbringing? Is it just part of each of us, I believe, has this if we have the opportunity to access it? Another question I have, though, thinking about the future of dude ranches and that perhaps it's possible less and less people will be as interested in horses. A big issue that I know a lot of dude ranches are having right now with Americans is that Americans are getting heavier and heavier. It's harder and harder to find horses that are large enough to carry 240, 340, 440 pound people. And then you've got some issues of balance and all those things too. So I'm just curious, do you see or do you know any ranches that are looking at helping people bring their dogs to the ranch with them? Because I think there's a a niche market or idea there for people because people are really into their pets, dogs and cats. They're really into their house pets and they want to get out and hike in the mountains and be in nature with them or get out on the trail here. But to actually be able to go somewhere and have a week out in nature not camping and doing the tent and figuring it all out yourself, but with all of the beauty and comfort and Western hospitality that dude ranches have to offer. Do you know any that are doing that for dogs and guests? Or do you think could, do you see that as a future? Well, that's a great idea. I think most of the ranches are a little gun shy, bringing other pets on the ranch, not knowing one, how the dog will adapt to the land and to the nature and to the unpredictability of things. Also, the dogs and the horses. I think there are a few ranches out there that offer the opportunity to bring your four-legged buddy, but I don't know them off the top of my head. We do have a incredible service on our websites, which is called the Check Availability tab. And on the check availability tab, there is a box in the lower right, which says any requests or special requests. So travelers can use that, send that out and quickly find out which ranches offer this or offer that or offer the opportunity for their, as I said, four-legged friends to accompany them. So I would say there are a few ranches that welcome dogs but not many. Yeah. And I think you really touched on it, the insurance liability. I went to Thatcher and I brought my horse to Thatcher and my horse was not used to the Thatcher lifestyle. It was a big adjustment for him. He was used to a stall. We had some scary situations where we somersaulted backwards off a shale trail because he just didn't know how to put his feet anywhere. He was used to being in a ring and the sort of New Mexican landscape, but nothing like what we had in the Cespi, right? That's incredible. Well, you just touched on bringing your own horse. And there are a few ranches over the years that I know that have 
allowed that. But again, how's the horse going to adapt to the terrain? How's the horse going to adapt to other horses? How's the horse? It's all those questions. And it's probably better for people just to come and embrace what the ranches offer, what they have, and and just hang loose and just enjoy. Amen. Well, and I think that's the other piece of it is the the liability side. So when I fill out my insurance for having horses on property and having people come here, in the state of Illinois, horses are considered like a swimming pool, which means if someone wanders over and gets kicked by my horse, it's on me, right? So I have great fencing and chicken wire and all that. But the other side is because I teach and work with people and want to bring them into partnership with horses. I want them to get close to horses, but also understand the risk and liability that I take and that they take and they sign the waiver. But one of the things I have to fill out is, do you have any dogs on your property who have bitten anyone? And we don't, by the way, just as an aside, because that for me is a deal breaker, just like a food aggressive horse. We have young children. That's something I can't work through and won't work through with the liability of having young children and students around. So it's interesting. And I sort of knew the answer would probably be that, but I was just curious if anybody might be thinking about coming up with some sort of dog and fishing ranch. And again, I think part of this is it's more of that clinician space and less of the guest ranch space where it's an escape. Leave all of your worries, all of your troubles all of your joys, your animals, your pets, leave your job behind and come and connect with nature and our animals and our way of life and this experience. And if you're bringing your haul with you, which is a big part of the story of my book, which is about the last time we hauled everything, all of our animals and everything across the country, you're not getting the opportunity to just breathe and be present to these guest ranches. You think that's true? That is so powerful. I was just thinking as you were saying this about yoga and about several of the men. I haven't known the women, even though I know there are a lot of women that do this to practice yoga. And the whole spirit and mindset of being present and breathing. I have a little thing here in my office that Francisco says, Dad, remember to breathe. and I think the other thing I want to just share is that guest ranchers today offer so many more things than they did 50 years ago. They've got riding, they've got fishing, they've got nature hiking, they've got farm-to-table food, they have massage, they have yoga, they have stargazing, all these different programs that kind of turn these ranches into adventure base camps. So one of the great yoga teachers that I met, I actually met at Bitterroot Ranch, Mark, I think his name is Holtzman. But anyway, Mark has a one-week course class at Bitterroot. I think he's there for a month, if I recall, and does some amazing things with the guests that really come to unwind and reconnect. And I think yoga ought to be taught in elementary school. We ought to take yoga with us on our life journey. And I think what you said about being present, being in the moment, taking one day at a time, I think the world has become 
so complex and so unpredictable. Here we had COVID for three years, which people have almost completely forgotten about. But the fact that we're both here, Kat, you and I, is a miracle given the incredible devastation that COVID caused here and around the world. So we need to all be present and just here for this moment. Yeah. Well, and I think horses and nature does it for us. We go out, we hear the birds, et cetera, but we can walk away from that. Whereas when we own an animal, they have this clock of, hey, excuse me, little tail wag, can you please take me out? I need to we need to take a walk and get present to nature. I don't know if you know the work of Eckhart Tolle. Are you familiar with his work? Yeah, I am. So he partnered with, I think it was the, let's see, not comedian, cartoonist for Mutts. And they did a fundraiser for, again, don't quote me on this, but Shelters of America or something like that. And he had all of these really wonderful little cartoons about the cat being the Zen master sleeping and the dog being the meditation teacher. We're just going to sniff this ground, you know, and for us to follow. And when I hear you talking about Richard and Hadley and how they are raising their son, and I saw a post that Hadley put up recently, but just allowing our children and this next generation to take the time that they need to take. I mean, to truly be present, because I think we have a world that's so overscheduled, so overcommitted, so many responsibilities, so many deadlines, so many, you need to achieve this and make this grade and get this degree and do this thing and et cetera, that we lose the fact that we are also of nature and human beings, not human doings, and how important it is for us to reconnect with the animals and with nature for that reason. And that's exactly what guest ranches do. Well, you reconnect. I mean, imagine going out into the wild, as you said earlier, and just smelling the earth and smelling the sage and smelling those things or looking up up to the sky at night and seeing a billion stars or just sort of reconnecting your senses with everything that smelling a horse. I mean, I it may sound crazy, but I love the smell of a horse. I love the smell of alfalfa hay. I love to smell the earth that's been turned over for farming. It just all these good qualities that we've been, what's the word I want? We've been numbed by technology and numbed by the pace of life. And I think often, where are we going so fast, Kat? I mean, what is the race? I mean, our son is 28 and here we are marching on. And I think, where did that all go? And I think we're on these rockets going wherever they're going and they're going so fast. And I think, let's slow down and uh, be mindful. And I think the ranches, the horses, the nature is a chance for us to step back and slow down and reconnect and um, be human. Absolutely. And 
going back to that question I had about expense and cost. Oh, right. What would you say in terms of some ranches you can think of just off the top of your head? And if you want to talk about some historical ranches, but I think what would provide the most value for listeners is if someone's listening to this and thinking, yes, I want that, but I can't afford it. What would you say? And the flip side might be for someone where expense is not a problem. What would you say in terms of the range and ranches you would recommend as places to start and end? Yeah, well, ranches today go from, if I could make a bad analogy, from the price point of, say, a Best Western up to a price point of a Four Seasons Hotel. I'd say the average price is probably $300, $350 a day per person for adults. There are a number of ranches that offer uh, kids rates for kids under 10 or under 5. Yeah, I think that uh, the thing to keep in mind is that they're all inclusive. There are not a lot of extras tagged on except for fly fishing guides and massage and so forth. Food, lodging, activities are all included. It's kind of a cruise on land concept when you think about it. You get on board and uh, everything's taken care of. The one price fits all. And I don't mean one price fits all. One price enables you to enjoy and uh, embrace all that the ranchers have to offer. So price range though, I will tell you if I just said 350 is the average, there are some that are under 300 a day per person in the 200 range. And there's some high-end ranches that are over $2,000 a day per person. So there's a host of different ranches and what do you get? So I think What's really amazing is that you get an incredible experience reconnecting, slowing down, terrific hospitality, goodness, cheer, all of that, nature. But just like Best Western versus Four Seasons Hotels, it's a level of service, a level of amenities, a level of food. I think one of the biggest things with dude ranches and just to factor in, and I was looking at a map, I can't remember where I was looking at this map, but the number of dude ranches, it might've been on ranch web. Is that your website? Yeah. And we'll make sure that it's in the show notes so people can go to it. But seeing how many dude ranches there are in Wyoming or Arizona or Colorado, New Mexico, California, Washington, Idaho, versus as you head East, fewer and fewer, but they're maybe in some ways because they're so uniquely positioned. My uncle actually owned a dude ranch or part of one or something in Cody, Wyoming. And when he came to our house here, he said, well, look what they've done. They just took a piece of Wyoming and dropped it down in the middle of Chicago land. I wonder what you would say for folks where it really is so far to get there. And, you know, I worked as a river guide. I don't know if I mentioned that, but the Grand Canyon is so remote And so it's one thing to actually get there and then to actually get in the shuttle. And I had a very interesting experience. I'm not sure why this is coming up with a very elderly gentleman that we had to helicopter in life light out because he had neglected to mention that he had a catheter 
and had no business being on this two-week backcountry expedition by day three. We, As a safety move, we couldn't wait until the midpoint to get him hiked out. So anyways, the point is he wanted to do this before he died. It was on his bucket list. And people will go to any lengths. And I think a big piece of what is happening for those of us who survived COVID is we also have all gone through a collective grief process of the country and the world we lived in in 2019 isn't the same after 2020. None of us is the same. And some of that would have happened anyways, but to have really gone through this collective sort of experience, there's YOLO, you only live once, or FOMO, fear of missing out. I think a lot of people are now at the place, someone was saying this, the consumerism piece of really spending and wanting to do something very, very big, finally ready, because tomorrow is not promised. What would you say, though, for someone who's watching their budget? I'm thinking of Dave Ramsey here. What's the best you can offer in terms of closest to a large airport, you know, closer to the best Western nightly rate? What would you say the very best options are if you live somewhere in the East, if you live in the middle of the country, or if you live on the West Coast, let's just say? Well, I guess access is a big deal. Flying into Denver or flying, Denver is usually a hub to the West. Salt Lake City is a hub to the West. I think that if you go onto RanchWeb and use the the check availability form, you'll see there is a price slider that lets you focus in on the price range that you're able to afford and send that out and quickly find out which ranches are in that price point. But yeah, I think that most of the ranches in the West are secondary airports. You've got Denver, you've got Bozeman, Montana, you've got Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Those are three airports where you have flights from big cities there. But the other thing is go on a road trip and see the country and meet the people and go through little towns or take a train and go west and rent a car. There are a lot of ways to see this country or Canada. There are great ranches up in Canada. And I think take a few extra days before you get to the ranch or after you go to the ranch and see a park or see a monument or just get out and what's that song? This land is your land. This land is my land. Yeah, get out and explore our great country and meet the people and see the terrain. And in Iowa, look at the corn stalks. In the Dakotas, look at Mount Rushmore. And so much to see and so little time to see it all. I love that. Oh, amen. There's a will, there's a way. Just get out there, right? Get out there. I think L.L. Bean has a slogan, get outside. Or I like to say with COVID and all, the inside is out and the outside is in. And what I mean is it's not in to be inside anymore. It's in to be outside. And yeah, I think that's what everybody's clamoring for, being outside. So I come from a long line of Montessori 
I guess I would call it a legacy. My grandmother has written books about Montessori, founded a school with my aunt, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that Maria Montessori, who, if you're not familiar with Montessori, she created this whole methodology of learning and system based on how the child learns and what they can touch and so on. Anyway, so she talked about bring the outside into the classroom, right? So ideally we can go out into the classroom and your background in science and see the bee pollinating, but then we can bring the study in and take apart the flower and understand where the pollen is coming from, how the stamen is made, et cetera, all of that. And what a beautiful way of seeing our world. One big takeaway question, we'll start to wrap up. I feel like we might've been talking about an hour, but time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) Thank you. I love it. And you wonder your thoughts on lifestyle or after you take the adventure, you take the trip, you do the big excursion to the guest ranch. What do you think about bringing that back into your daily life? Well, first of all, I think it's all about being kinder, being thoughtful, being kinder to each other, not being impatient. I think it's applying the lessons that we've learned from the ranches about animals, about stewardship of the land, about the concept of farm to table meals, the concept of eating a family meal together. So I would say nature, togetherness, kindness, wonder. Just realize that life is full of wonder and magic, and it all gets down to people. And just we need to love one another and realize that we're all brothers and sisters in the world and let's embrace one another and do what the ranches do so well which is bring people together the one thing i would love to do cat is just read you quickly this forward that my son francisco wrote and it really captures the essence of range country Thank you, Gene. Before you do, and we'll put this in the show notes, but just for people who are listening, can you tell us the edition that you're reading from and the title of the book, please? Yeah, the this is the 13th edition. It's called Ranch Vacations. And I made this 13th edition like a Zagat guide because everything is online today. So in the edition you have There's, I don't know, 100 pages of colored photographs, which is terrific and was terrific. But today it's all online. So I made this kind of a portable version of that guide. Francisco, my son, who's 28, has worked on at the Bitterroot for three years and has probably seen more ranches than any other kid in the world. And he's a heck of a great writer, not only a beautiful guy with a great heart and compass, but a great writer. So I want to read this because it really captures the spirit of ranch country. So he writes, there is nothing quite like being on a ranch. From your arrival down a dusty driveway, ranch country beckons. The gentle rocking of your truck over well-worn potholes, the sweet smell of sage, wafting through the open windows, a distant horse nigh. 
when you put your cowboy boots on and tuck them into your extra long blue jeans, you join a historic culture of lone riders on the prairies and ranch hands in the barn. Adventure is just outside your cabin door. Isn't that incredible stuff? I love it. Keep going. I've grown up visiting ranches since I was old enough to wear cowboy boots. And though each property is different, there's something special between all of them that makes a ranch a ranch. Each one boasts captivating outdoors and views punctuated by vivid sunsets, rushing sounds of mountain rivers and melodic bird sounds, sweet, wild smell of evergreens and horses. After invigorating rides on horseback or fishing in crystal clear alpine streams, you will find a perfect place to relax, whether beside the fire in a cozy lodge or sitting on the deck of a rustic cabin. One of the most special of ranch ingredients is the way in which they bring out the best in people. Once you get together with ranch hands and other guests, you're part of a family. I'm going to skip over here a little bit, but he says, our 21st century lifestyles barrages us with information from all directions. There is so much to do. It's hard to find a few good things amidst the noise. The beauty of the West is that it takes you away from that away from the overpowering routine of city life. It gives you a chance to escape technology and enjoy the great outdoors without distraction. For at least one evening on the ranch, stay up late, look at the sky, and experience the stunning and silent fulfillment of a starry western night. Once you feel the breathtaking grandeur of the Milky Way, you'll know what it's like to be truly connected. He goes on a little bit further, but I really think that he has captured the magic, the beauty, the wonder. And uh, yeah, I hope one day that you'll meet him, Kat. And both of you are great communicators, great writers. I can't wait to read your book and to. Uh, continue to celebrate this incredible thing called ranch vacations, dude ranches, guest ranches, fly fishing ranches, all of these ranches that help to make the world a better place. Wow, Gene, thank you so much. And what a beautiful piece of writing by your son. I mean, he took us right there, right? I was actually tearing up right there. Wow. Well, that's pretty powerful. The ranches often make people cry. And uh, I don't want to make people cry. I just want to make them happy. And uh, I guess I'm kind of in the happiness business, the dream business. Walt Disney made dreams come true. I have a quote here that I want to leave you with. And I think it's a really good quote that I've kept by my side here at the office. And it goes like this. Walk with the dreamers, the believers, the courageous, the cheerful, the planners, 
the doers, the successful people with their heads in the clouds and their feet on the ground. Let their spirit ignite a fire within you to leave this world better than when you found it. I hope that we can all do that. And I'm touched and so grateful for the young people that are the future that I think will, with their love and nurturing and a lot better understanding, leave the world a better place, hopefully a peaceful, a more peaceful place than what we're experiencing uh, today out there. Thank you so much, Gene. And I would just echo that sentiment and put it out there for all listening. And the quote I'm thinking of is, I believe, by Gandhi, which is, be the change you want to see in the world. So if you want to see something done differently and no one's doing it, start with you. And Gandhi and the Dalai Lama and Pope Francis and the peacemakers in the world that you want to embrace love and compassion and understanding. And as I said, I just think about us all being brothers and sisters and that we need to sprinkle magic and love and hope and cheer for for humanity. I love that. And you have done that being the authority on guest ranches and bringing so many to that. So I just want to thank you so much for for all of your work. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Okay, the time has come for us to end this podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. You listened all the way to the end. I appreciate you. And if you loved this podcast, please share it with a friend. Drop me a review. We all love five stars, but any stars, any feedback is welcome as a guest in the guest house of Rumi's poem, which you can find in my virtual workshop on catcaldwellmyers.com. Would love to see you there if you want to continue the party and have an adventure of a day.